morning, good morning. Hope you guys are doing well today. How was everybody's first week of school? How did that go? Okay. Well, we had a, a, a monumental week. We went a whole week without getting a call from the school. Come on now, come on. Jesus is on the throne. We are moving and shaking some stuff. And so, uh, praise God for that. Um, school's a good thing. School's a good thing. I think moms might celebrate a little more than dads. I'm not sure on that, but, but uh, we're very thankful for having great schools, great teachers, all that. If you're visiting with us today, as Jarrett mentioned, uh, this is always an important time for us as a church. Uh, you know, the Lord's always trying to communicate something to us and give us a word that can help us and help us grow. And, uh, but I, I will say that what we're going to talk about today is, is probably one of the most important things that we can talk about, especially in our culture. One of our core values as a church is to be authentic, to be real, um, to, to have authentic relationships with people. And, and I find that, that as a culture, you know, you can tell that people desire to have real and authentic relationships. The problem is we are pursuing it through the cyber world, which is just kind of backwards because you're never really going to find real relationships through computers and through screens. I I find that there's probably a lot of things that we kind of do backwards as a culture. You know, like for instance, uh, this happens in our family. We'll we'll go on to, to find a show on Netflix and we will spend two hours looking for a show on Netflix so that we can watch an hour worth of a show. I mean, there's just some things in our investment and our time and, and our focus and what we're trying to do. It can just be a little bit backwards, but it's incredibly important that we're sincere. You know, Jesus was incredibly sincere. You think back to some of these, these scenes and these pictures that we, we re- remember from from the word of God, Jesus on the cross, man, just my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At one point, he, he went to, to Peter after a bunch of the disciples have, had left and, and walked away because the word that Jesus had was just so hard for them to grasp, so hard for them to di- digest. And, and, and Jesus went to Peter. He's like, Peter, you're not going to leave me too, are you? And Peter, man, he messed it up so many times, but he got it right that time. Because he said, Jesus, where where else can we find life? Where else can we find the key to eternity? And then then before Jesus was, was crucified and he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's just like, guys, I need you. Will you please pray with me? Please. And they couldn't do it. Like they fell asleep and so he went back and he pleaded with them again. Like, guys, you don't understand. Like, I'm heavy here. I'm overwhelmed. And I need you. I need you to have my back. I'm thankful that that Jesus set the example for us. And being authentic and being sincere in relationships. The original church, man, that's how it was. It says that they did gather together in the, kind of their version of church, and they were doing that pretty much all the time. Like Jared said, seven days a week they were doing that. But 
but it also says that they gather together in each other's homes with glad and sincere hearts. And then right after that, it says, and the Lord added to their number daily. Well, you know what? People will get saved when they can see real and authentic people living life together. I mean, the world is drawn to that. And the thing is, like, they, they, they think that they can find it in being rebellious or in being extreme somehow. You know what the most rebellious thing that you can do these days is follow the word of God. That's like the most rebellious thing that you could do. And, 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 but people were seeing like, man, look at the way these people love each other and support each other and they're there for each other. There's something to that. And then they'd find the message of Jesus and realize, man, everything is being birthed out of that. Look, in my life, uh, I'm so thankful for this core value that we have as a church. And, and, it, and it speaks to me on a personal level because there were so many seasons of my life where I desperately wanted to see authenticity and I wanted to see real relationships, but there was really bad examples given. Now, I remember when I was a kid, growing up in church, my, my, my parents are believers, but their marriage was a wreck. And I remember falling asleep at night, hearing them arguing, yelling, and screaming, and stuff hitting the walls in the next room. And then waking up the next morning on a, on a Sunday morning and getting ready for church. And then pretending like nothing was going on. But then Sunday morning, some of y'all know how this is, man. The devil's just extra busy on Sunday morning sometimes. And I remember driving to church, my parents arguing, yelling, screaming. And then we'd pull into the parking lot and they'd just shut it down. Like they didn't even have to say it's time to stop. There is this fake switch inside of them that would switch. And then we just step out of our truck and put these fake smiles on, at least my parents, and walk in. Like nothing, nothing happened. Everything was fine. And so as a result, the day when I turned 13, that's when my parents got divorced. And I'm convinced if they would have been real, if they would have been authentic, and if it, but, but also if they would have felt like they had real and authentic people around them, it could, have, it could have saved their marriage. The truth was a lot of the churches we went to, I, I remember even some of the Sunday school teachers that I had, they, they, would, they would talk about God's love and God's grace, but simultaneously be some of the meanest people you've ever met in your life. Like they talked about hell like they were born and raised there. Like they knew everything about it. You know, and, 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 and so many times when I, I needed a place, especially after my parents got divorced, I needed a place to feel accepted and safe and some security. Because when you have two parents that say that they're believers and then they act and treat each other the way that they treat each other and then ultimately break that covenant, it can really confuse a young man who's trying to figure out what it means to be a Christ follower. I need somebody to just kind of help 
speak some life and some truth into me. And there were, there were times when youth pastors, I, I, I would get in a fight at school because I was bullied and I was picked on. And so I tried to defend myself and get in this fight. And, and, and this kid beat me up and I had black eyes and broken nose. And, and, and I went to a youth meeting. And the youth pastor called me out as an example of what not to do because Christians should turn the other cheek. And I was like, bro, I turned the other cheek. The dude punched it. Like, <laughs> maximum amount of cheekage has been beat. It, it, there's, there was nothing else to turn. Just totally thrown under the bus by my youth pastor. The hand of God by his grace, it, it stayed on my life. It, I, I went into Bible school and, and I went into, I was at, at a church in Bible school, man, where they talked about relationships. And, and for me, that was, that was a fresh idea of having like genuine relationships, a, a relational church. They talked about it. But at the same time, some of my pastors and spiritual leaders had all this hidden sin in their lives that ultimately cost them their church and cost them their ministry. So then I'm like, okay, so you can talk about it and you can even try to look like it, but then in reality, you're still lying. You're still fake. How many of y'all ever heard the term, the struggle's real? The struggle's real. Hashtag, struggle's real, right? So it's a, kind of a popular term. And, and the emphasis in that phrase is the struggle, man, the struggle. It's like, this is just like, and whatever it is, it could be something that is a real struggle. Or it just could be something that's just funny, like, you know, something with your kids. But I say the struggle is fake. And the emphasis in that phrase is the word fake. Because the issue is not actually the hashtags that you're sending out there in that moment. The struggle is real. The real struggle is the fakeness that we deal with. That's the real struggle. The struggle is, is, is people being fake. And so I, I, I want to talk about authentic relationships. I want to talk about being authentic in relationship with Christ. And this is a little bit different sermon. It's not really put together like a sermon. It's not put together like I normally put it together. Uh, and I can't guarantee that there's going to be a lot of funny stories and jokes and all that kind of stuff. But, but I... I can guarantee you, like I try to do every weekend, just to communicate from my heart to hopefully connect to something in your heart that can cause some of you to make a shift in where you're at. I want to answer uh, some questions. And these might be questions that that we would get, um, but they're certainly questions that I think provoke the necessarily conversations of why relationships are so important, why being real and being authentic is so important. Two-part questions. The first one is this, how does a person become sincere? And what causes people to hold back? In my experience, it's all around one word, secrets. I think people that want to be sincere but everyone's got secrets. 
And so I think ultimately those secrets, intentionally or unintentionally, those are the things that keep us from truly being sincere. My guess would be that no one in this room has ever had a God encounter where you were in a place of hiding or being fake. God doesn't really show up around those things. The great thing to know is this. There is no such thing as a secret. There's no such thing as a secret. (laughs) You're you're not going to stand before God someday and all of a sudden, like, there's going to be a bunch of stuff revealed about your life. And God's like, I had no idea. Wow, why didn't somebody tell me? Like, my goodness, there is no such thing as a secret. In Luke 8, 17, it says, for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed. And nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. And when some of us hear that, your heart rate goes up. You kind of start just sweating a little more. But the reason why that is, is because you don't understand the freedom in that verse. There is no such thing as a secret, but there is such a thing as unrepented sin. And that's usually the issue. And, and here's the deal. For, for a long time, I misunderstood the word repent. And I, I want to just promise you this. You will never repent if you don't really understand how much God loves you. And the reason why I was so confused about the word repent is because I still wasn't completely convinced about how much God loved me. And, and, I, and I couldn't, I, of course I was going to resist. It was really difficult during seasons for me to be completely obedient to God and to his will and his plan and purpose in my life because I didn't understand true repentance. And the reason why I didn't understand true repentance is because I hadn't completely accepted just how much God loved me. And I think that that's the truth for a lot of us. And maybe some of us, just because we, we don't understand the heart of God and the tone of his, of his words sometimes. Like there's this verse that says, if you love me, you will obey me. But a lot of us read that like, if you're not obeying me, then you don't love me. But that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, look, when you understand the love that we can have, you're going to obey me. You will, you will want to. It'll just be a natural part of who you are. But it won't be based on condition and it won't be based on your ability to perform or be good. It'll be out of a revelation of my love and my grace. It's kind of like marriage. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine, like I couldn't imagine waking up every day in my relationship with Cody and be like, oh, okay. I got to obey all the rules of marriage today. Uh, and so, well, okay, there's a list. Um, and uh, I better, I, I, I got to do the dishes. Um, and and I, I better never, I, I can't, I better never look at another woman. I can't, that's a rule of marriage. You don't do that. I promise you this, if I, or if any of you operate around relationships 
thinking that that relationship's relationship is predicated upon a a list of rules. It is a matter of time before you break all the rules and destroy the relationship. But if you will wake up every day and say, no, the reason I don't want you to have to worry about the rules because I'm just going to fall more in love with Cody. I'm going to fall more in love with Cody. I'm going to understand her. I want to understand. I want to know her ups and downs and her, her good days and her bad days. And I'm just going to love her. And I promise you, if, if I can do that, I won't have to work. <laughs> I told you the devil be busy on Sunday morning. <laughs> if I learn just how to love her, and it's the same thing in relationship with God. I promise you this. Instead of waking up, every day thinking about what you need to do to obey the rules in relationship with God. If you just woke up every day and said, God, reveal more of your love to me. And I want to love you more. I think it would change. So to start answering this question, how do I become more sincere with the Lord? I think you can answer this question. What lie do you have that you've never confessed to Christ? What's that part of your life that you just, you, you, you don't even want to think about it. You want to just keep it out of your mind that no one knows about. And it's not pretty. And you hope that nobody ever knows. But the truth is this, it is a fake walk that keeps that lie Covered, but alive. Letting it still be there. You know, Jesus said, Jesus said that we should come to him like little children. One of the reasons why he said that is because the most honest person you will ever meet in your life is a three-year-old child. I mean, brutally honest. And if you've raised kids, you know, you've always like, it's just like this thing in them. No filter. Whatsoever, you know, so you're just afraid when they're around certain settings because you're just, you're never, you're just like, oh God, help us. Like you, you see a person, you know, walking down the, the grocery aisle and, you know, they may look a little different. You're just like, oh God, here it comes. Like, please, Lord, like you want to like, just sort of like start singing really loud or something because you're hoping because they're just so honest. And I think that's one of the reasons why God said that. It's like, man, I wish you would just come to me unfiltered. I wish you would come to me brutally honest. And the second most honest person is a drunk person. (laughs) You know, (laughs) honestly, it's one of the reasons why I don't mind hanging out around drunk people. Uh, Because the truth is this, it's just so refreshing, right? Because they're just like, man, there's just, this, there's no telling what they're going to say. And I, I'll just, you know, I don't hang out around drunk people a lot. But if you ever go on a cruise, you're going to be around them. And you're on a boat, so there's not a lot of ways you can get away from it. It's unfortunate that you have to enter into sin to be the real you. I wish we could all just be honest. In true repentance, you have to know this. This is what true repentance is. It's in that moment, what happens is in that moment, the Holy Spirit uncovers 
and then simultaneously the blood of Jesus recovers. And the reason why some of us are not sincere and real is because we're afraid of being uncovered. We're afraid of being exposed. Your fear of the Lord, your concern about what your heavenly father thinks should be infinitely more important than what you think or what you worry about someone else thinking. And you can know that that's how God handles it. What the Holy Spirit does is he brings conviction. He shows you something. And then when you allow him, he does, he uncovers it. He takes the lid off of it. And then simultaneously, the resurrection of Jesus Christ covers it. There's nothing more free than that. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's a great promise in that. If we confess, he is faithful, but you have to understand that they're the part of that. He's also faithful to not forgive if you don't confess. God is faithful, period. He is faithful to fulfill his promises one way or the other. Another question, does God know our heart and is our good heart enough? No. It's his love that draws you to repent, not your goodness that draws you to repentance. It's his love. Because some people, they may repent like this. God, you know my heart. You know my heart. I made a mistake, but my heart was in the right place. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. So, so I might, you know, like, like Ethan, I would say, man, Ethan, you got a great heart. And, and I think it's true, but the truth is this, it's only good because of what Jesus has done in Ethan's life. In and of himself, Ethan doesn't have a good heart. Sorry, bro, you don't. It just, it's the truth. In and of ourselves, our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. So no, having a good heart, it, 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 it's not enough. And, and when, we, when we go to that place, it's like we get close sincerity, but not all the way there. So close sincerity is just a better level of fakeness. It's like if you can justify in your mind, well, I mean, I've got a good heart. I've got a good heart. So God, I'm sorry, but you know I've got a good heart. That just leads you further into your own deception. And and just leads to an even better counterfeit of the real thing, of being sincere, of being real. It says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So it has absolutely nothing to do with our ability or our goodness. It has everything to do with Christ's love, grace, and forgiveness. And it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. A great example of this, David in the Bible, okay? We know the story. David finds himself in this situation, not on accident, I mean, he he was intentionally making decisions that were putting himself in a compromising position. And so one night 
he's supposed to be off at war with the rest of the kings. But pride had set, him, had set in and made him believe that he doesn't really need to leave his army because his army is so strong and vast. And, and there he is, and he sees Bathsheba taking a bath. Here's the deal. He had all the authority in the world to be with whoever he wanted to be, and so he did that. Brought her over. Next thing you know, they have an affair. She gets pregnant. He's wigging out because he wants to hide this. And so he hides it by essentially putting her husband in a position where he would be killed for sure. Tries to cover this thing up. And when he is confronted with his sin, when he's confronted with the reality of it, this is what he says. Psalm 51, verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. What I love about this is David doesn't make excuses. He doesn't play the victim. He doesn't say, well, God, you know I'm a man after your own heart. You know, David didn't say that about himself. He didn't say, God, I'm sorry. You know I have this genetic disposition to want to do these types of things. He doesn't, he doesn't say, man, I've, I've, but I've been mistreated. It's just so much pressure being king, God. He just said, it's me, God. You know, the stinking sinner. And I'm broken. And I can't fix myself. But somehow you love me and you forgive me. He says, you're good and your compassion, your love never fails. I think if everyone could have a moment like this with God, you know, where they were just really real. like Some of you just say, God, you know that I, I stay up and, and on the computer staring at women that were created in your image. These are your daughters. And, and every night I abuse them with my eyes. And I'm sorry. If some of you could say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm just lazy. I'm lazy and, and it, I don't want to get up. And, and I make video games and my hobbies a higher priority than you every day. And I know that's sin. And I know that that's got me off track. Or Lord, I, I lied to my husband. And I'm so sorry. And I'll repent to you. And I'm, I'm and in repentance. I'm going to make it right with him. Or Lord, I've just deceived people for no good reason. I just, other than to make myself look better than I really am. Lord, I've cheated. I've hid. I've, I've faked my life. Lord, forgive the affair. Lord, the way that I've treated my kids the way I've treated your church, the way I've treated my money, I think maybe some of us need to have those kinds of conversations without excuse, without justification, but just real. Another question, 
why does it seem like people have more joy when they're sincere? And then what are some examples in the Bible of that? Well, I will say that there's a ton of joy in all of God's plans. A ton of joy. In Psalm 1611, it says this, You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. The problem is, in many of our minds, being real seems counterintuitive to joy or what we would call happiness. Because it seems like if we were being real, then that's not going to make us happy. Because if we're real, then people will know. And how could that make us happy? We are constantly trying to distance ourselves from real for the sake of what we think is joy, but it's really a lie. It doesn't provide joy. And the reason why I know this is because of so many people in the Bible that got this right, because Paul was in prison saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Paul, man, he was always sincere, like brutally. In 2 Corinthians 2.17, he wrote this to the church in Corinth. Unlike so many, we don't peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Paul was real and he was sincere because he understood the importance of it. In fact, he was always reminding people of where they came from. So in a way, he was reminding people of their sin, like you were drunks and haters and liars and thieves and perverts and all this other stuff. So he, he probably wasn't the guy you'd want to invite out to your barbecue. You know, because <laughs> he'd be at the barbecue. He's like, man, this is so great, man. I just remember a couple years ago. Tom, remember a couple years ago? Man, you were getting drunk at everything you showed up to, man. <laughs> man. And then, and then you, Bill, remember how you were hitting on and flirting with your best friend's wife? I mean, that was just crazy. And Sue, you weren't helping a brother out by wearing that low-cut shirt. And, just, and everybody's like, Paul, stop, be quiet. We're forgiven. Leave it alone. But why was he doing that? Because we won't own, if we never own who we really are, then you'll never rejoice in what God did for you. If you can't own who you really are, then you will never rejoice in what God really did for you. And so what he was doing was reminding people like, remember where you came from so you can understand the power of the cross. He did this in 1 Corinthians 6 and Titus 3 and Ephesians 2. But he'd also always say, but God who is rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love. You've got to be real. A few years ago, when our youngest Grayson was little, and I don't remember which kid it was, it was one of her older siblings. They, they were yelling at me, Dad, Grayson bit me for no reason. I was like, really? No reason at all, huh? Okay, well, well what exactly was happening at the time that she bit you? Well, I mean, I had my hand over her mouth. 
and her nose. Uh, but I wasn't being mean. And so you're like, oh, so there's more to the story. <laughs> and there's always more to the story. You know, Instagram has that thing, my story. You guys are familiar with what I'm talking about? How many of you guys use Instagram? It's a good survey. How many of you guys use Instagram? Okay, like some of you are afraid to raise your hand right now. I'm not sure why. It's like, you, you talk so bad about social media all the time. I don't know if I want to admit this. <laughs> okay, fair enough. There's this thing on Instagram. It's called my story, right? But it's never really your story. All it is is a scene. And it's a scene that you make it look like what you want it to look like. That's not a story. That, that's just a fabricated scene. To get close to God, you have to give him the rest of the story and not just the scene. You've got to be willing to just lay it all out there. Don't get stuck in the scene the different scenes of your life, because those scenes, they're just layovers. They're not the destination. That's not where God has for you. So the truth is there's some really ugly scenes that you don't want anybody to see. And then there's some other scenes that you want everyone to see, but they're not the real scene. And they're not the real story. But I think it's important that we give the whole story. Many of us have made huge mistakes and it's embarrassing to talk about some of them. I've certainly made some of those and I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't want everyone to know all the time. But we do need to be real with someone. We need to be sincere and authentic with someone. So why do we do life groups? We do life groups because, because there's gonna be some scenes that happen in your life that you're gonna need some backup on. And I've walked into some of these scenes. And as a pastor, if you want to know what one of the most difficult things for me to deal with is when someone is hurting or someone has tragedy that hits their life and there's no community around them. That is one of the most difficult things that I have to deal with as a, as a pastor. Because there's been both of those scenes, you know, where I've gone to a hospital and I've showed up and there's just, they, there's no community. And so I'm in there and we'll keep going. We'll show up to the hospital as often as we possibly can to help people. But when I'm in those situations with people that don't have community, I'm like, man, who can, how can I get these people connected? I know that we need to take care of them. We need to love them. And we, and, but, but I can't do it all. They need community. I've also stepped into the same kind of scene and I'll walk in and it's like, I didn't, it's like I'm not even there because their life group is there. And their life group leaders and these people are there and they're in there taking care of them and they're figuring out and getting meal trains going and, and making sure that the other details and, and their lawn is going to be mowed and, and different things like that. And they're looking at me like, why are you even here? We don't need you, big boy. Go on. I love that. It is amazing. The reason why you need community is because without the community, your story is never going to be as strong. Your story is never going to be as strong by yourself. And you'll just get trapped in these individual scenes. 
And God has more for you. Look, a scene cannot be your story, but one scene can change your story forever. Paul went on in Psalm 51 and says, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Um, this is written in the most read and publicized book in history. Talk about sincere and real. And I think that the Lord would love for some of you to have a very real and sincere scene with him that can change your whole story. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. The truth is this, you will always struggle with godly friends until you get real with the Lord. I would, I would implore you and beg you to give New Life Church a, an opportunity to build relationship with you, to get you connected. But I think it has to start with you being really real with God. And so for some of you, that level of transparency and being real is it, it's you admitting that even though you've been coming to church for maybe your whole life, and that even though maybe you know a lot of the verses and the Bible stories, and you know the songs, but the truth is this, there are some things that are hidden in your life. And because those things are hidden, you're having a very difficult time having, and will always have a difficult time having a real and sincere approach to God. And in order for you to experience repentance, the first thing that you have to know is just how much God loves you. And God sees every mistake. He's, he's seen every scene. He sees it all. And in spite of any of it, he loves you. He loves you. He wants more than anything to have relationship with you. And if you're here today and, and maybe, maybe you just need to come back to him. You had a real encounter, but you've been living a life that's been fake since then. Or maybe you just know, I've never given my life to him. I really have never given him that chance. I've never been, I've never been real with God. If you're the one of those people, I'd love to pray with you this morning. If that's you, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I wanna give you an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to move in your life, to uncover these things so that the grace and the love and the sacrifice of Jesus can cover it right now. And if you're that person, if you're one of those people, nobody looking around, that's you, put your hand up right now. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, back there. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? I know that I, I know I haven't been real with God. I don't have a real relationship with him and I want it. Yes, sir. Thanks, bro. I respect that. Yes, ma'am. Yes, got it right here, up here. Anybody else? I need a relationship with Jesus. 
I don't want to be fake anymore. I want to be real. Okay. Every person that raised your hand, you just repeat this prayer. You can say it out loud if you want, or you can just say it loud enough for your heart to hear it. Just say, God, please forgive me. God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me so that I could have a real relationship with you. And I don't understand how you could love someone like me. I don't understand that. But in faith right now, I just choose to believe. And I wanna grow in an understanding of your love. I wanna grow in an understanding of your purpose and your plan and what it means for me. But I know that I can't live the way I've been living and I can't live for myself. And so right now, as as I begin to have this revelation of your love and your grace, I thank you, God, that it's gonna help me to live right for you. And right now I surrender to you as my savior. You've saved me from my sins, but you're also my Lord. And I want you to have control and I want you to lead me because I know that that's the only way that I'm gonna have the life that I was created to live. So thank you, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy that's met me right here in this chair this morning. And I thank you that I've got a new life in you because of it. Father, God, please let us be a church. Let us be a people that are authentic, that are real, that confess, that repent, that walk in the joy that you have for us. And help us not just be a people that understand that and live in that, but are constantly looking for people who need to experience the same thing. Thank you for that. Thank you for that responsibility. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I think we had seven or eight people raise their hand. Let's give God some praise for that. Give them a hand. We're thankful for that.